0: Dismantling systemic oppression, strengthening local economies, fostering equity and inclusion, cultivating communities for social good. We are motivated to leave the world a more just and compassionate place than we found it. A lofty goal? Maybe. An unreachable goal? Absolutely not. This is the Impact Out Loud podcast, powered by Prospera Partners. Now here are your hosts.
1: Welcome back to Impact Out Loud. I'm Vicki Pazibon. Ray Miller's here with me. Hey, Ray. Hey, Vicki. I think this is
2: one of my favorite topic areas.
1: <laughs> social enterprise and corporations? Yes. <laughs> well, we've been talking...
2: The whole system. <laughs> the whole system.
1: We've been talking with David Gaines, our uh, new friend and colleague in social enterprise work, and his recent book, Radical business, the root of your work, and how it can change the world. And in our last segment, we talked with David, um, we were talking with you about lots of things, but we kind of ended around the supply chain idea and what does that really look like in practice of how do we have a more sustainable, values based supply chain that really reflects the social impact that we wish to be doing. And I love especially using coffee as a model, because it's in so many ways so obvious. So what are your thoughts on a values-based value chain?
3: Yeah. So radical means root in Latin. How do we get back to the root of what we're talking about? As I wrestled with the idea of social impact, I just kept going back to this root idea. Could it be as simple as treating other people the way you want to be treated? What we all learned in kindergarten, that golden rule. And so if that's what that's where my story does begin in coffee here's this supply chain coffee is a current modern day slave trade product and through relationship through ethical sourcing through asking deeper questions fair trade or even more what is a living wage for the communities the relationship of the producer is what drew me into the coffee world and you know you get to know people and very quickly you're it makes complete sense treating other people the way you want to be treated. I, like I want food and shelter and education and to be able to pay in a way that provides that for someone that's in there. An essential part of my business was very clean and clear and obvious. What was kind of fascinating for me as I was exploring that and could it be as simple as this golden rule definition, you realize quickly like coffee's only one segment of our business and, and so, you know, it is the main segment, but when we were planning to buy company shirts, like the textile industry is not really better than coffee. So is there a way to source our shirts from an anti-slavery shirt producing company? And, uh, was very fortunate to stumble onto a company called Joya, uh, at the time it was called Freeset, but they're, they're, uh, international, their U S headquarters is based in Cincinnati, in Cincinnati. So that's where I stumbled into them. But their main headquarters is in Calcutta, India. And they employ women who've been rescued from the sex slave trade in Calcutta to produce shirts. And so we were able not only just to get the blank t-shirt, but we had them print our t-shirts for our business. So you quickly realize like this main component of our business was not like this checkbox and then we're we're done, but it in fact was the ethos which we started to think about all of our supply. So we were able to source shirts. It forced us to ask the question, where are we getting our tea from? It it even forced us to ask the question like, is there a way to get office supplies in an ethical way? And again, I think Cincinnati is is unique in that we have a, a local company here called Viability, which is a social enterprise, which is a part of the Social Enterprise Alliance, which is actually, I think, how I found Social Enterprise Alliance, actually going back seven or eight years. There's nothing special to the product that they do, but they teach people who've become blind as adults how to use audible programs to relearn how to put go back into the normal workforce. So, like, our account representative is someone who lost his vision at 25 years old. He had graduated college, he's in his job, and then all of a sudden, within six months, had no sight, like, just devastated. Professionally, everything's gone, you know, like the emotion that would come with that. So he was able to re uh, engage his skill set and learn how to use an audible program and work for a company that just supplies office supplies. So it just like it just kept coming back to that root question. And then you start asking it more and more and more. And you know, one of the common controlling ideas of the book is who are the people groups that we interact with? And so there's like seven. And then what are we doing in each area? Could, what's the next thing we could do? Again, kind of what we talked about the last episode, what's that small step and how important that is? And so for us, we just kept asking the question until we couldn't ask it anymore in terms of our supply chain.
1: Do you want to run us through the seven areas in your book? This is a pop quiz for you.
3: <laughs> uh, yeah, sure. I mean, just real quick for everybody. Like, yeah, the three controlling ideas, treat other people the way you want to be treated. Here's the seven uh-huh. stakeholders. So it's the supply chain. If you're about living wages in, in Honduras like I am, then you're quickly realizing you're about living wages for your own team. So what does that look like? On top of the living wages conversation, though, is like if you work 40 hours with people, you're spending more time with them than you, you are your friends and family. Like, So wouldn't it be great if we all had a level of friendship in the place that we work? And how do we create that kind of culture, especially as leaders of organizations? How are we treating our customer the way we want to be treated? We actually hesitate sometimes to share our social impact because we want you to buy our coffee because it's amazing. I mean, the, the woman-owned farm that we work with in Honduras, what drew us into her was the quality of her coffee, like just off the charts good. And then we get deeper in and she's like, yeah, well, I use the proceeds to have really amazing coffee. When you have really amazing coffee, you can charge more. Uh, and she built a school in her community. Like, so, right. But it began with the quality and that's for us what we want to do too. And and the root idea behind that is I don't really want to manipulate our, my customer to buy our coffee. It's amazing. We're really good at what we do. Of course it has a social mission into it as well, but Uh, that that's kind of our approach to treating the customer the way you want to be treated. The fourth category would be our community. Not everyone that's by us is buying coffee from us, but they're still our neighbor. How am I playing a role as a community citizen for us that works? That looks like working in the local school system and teaching a business course actually at at the high school level, how to open a coffee shop. Um, the fifth group would be what we talked about also in the last episode. What is Competition look like, and you know that one's a tough one. I I get really mad when I don't win an account and my competitor does. At the same time, my competitor is someone that I know who I have their phone number in my phone. Right, I can reach out and text them, and and we can reach out if we need something. So there is a version of relationship in that competitive landscape as well. And at the end of the day, there's someone who's trying to treat feed their family and provide shelter and create good jobs. And also often are also working with farms around the world with personal relationships and making deep impacts in that space. So while it's a hard category, I think it is really important. And then uh, the last two are um, uh, the environment. How could we treat the planet as a human (laughs) or, you know, give it that persona and treat it the way we want to be treated. And then finally, I think the hardest one, the least obvious, but also the most important is what does that true self-care look like? Mm. Uh, For most people that I know that are in the social impact spaces, we're really good. And this is an admirable quality. And I don't want to take away from it in any way, shape or form. But we're really good at putting others first, making sure they're taken care of. And sometimes we do forget to make sure that we're taken care of. And so it very much is like that airplane announcement. Make sure you put your own oxygen mask on. Before you would take care of others, and if we want to love all these people, these other six categories in our supply chain or whatever it is, you know, we really have to do some of that work as well as best we can to to understand what healthy work life balance looks like. What does a living wage for me look like? Which is a qu- question I didn't really ask well at the beginning, you know. So that self care component I think is really critical to the whole thing.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm glad you included that because it is hard when we are passionate, committed, dedicated people to the cause. And sometimes that gets lost and we have to apply the same wellness to the business itself, right? And really take care of the business, take care of the people in the business. That's an important piece of it.
3: You know, I... Are we planning to ask the same question at the end of this episode? Because if I do, I'll save this. Uh,
1: yeah. You want to go there? We can go to, yeah, we can save go to the aha <laughs> moments and, and WTF moments. Let's do it. Okay.
3: <laughs> okay. All right. So as I wrote the book, uh, you know, and again, speaking a little bit more. So the seed number two, well, I call them these seven group seeds, radicals, uh-huh. root seeds. You know, I'm just kind of playing on this. Can we grow uh, this whole new version of an economy? The second seed is that um, a team member or employee seed. And it's 20% of the book. And my editor was like, you can't have it that big. It might be even 25%. You cannot have it this big. It, you're you're going to lose the reader. And I said, well, the thing is, it's like the most important. Like, it, it just means everything. Like, if you're mm-hmm. a social impact driven business. And, and, you know, like my story is, here's a woman on farm in Honduras. And, and we work with a number of farms, but she's our direct trade relationship the impact that I will have with her will always be dependent on my team members. And the most impact that I'm always going to have is going to be with my team members. They're going to see me be authentic in my leadership. They're going to see how we resolve conflict with each other. They're going to, if I'm about a work-life balance for them, that will only help them have enough capacity to care about this other thing that we're passionate about. If and let me say it the other way, if if we're overworked, if we're working 50, 60 hours a week, uh, which is pretty common in the food and re- restaurant industry, you know, my team member is not going to really care about whether this person in Honduras is making a living wage or not, because they are just tired.
1: Right. And and
3: so this employment seed is just so, so critical. And I think as leaders in the social impact space, I think we do need to realize they're the ones that we have the most influence with anyway just because that's the group of people that we spend the most time with. So that was kind of my like, oh, yeah, that we have to um, double down in how do we take care of ourselves so that we can really be investing into the team and the people that we work with the most.
1: Yeah, absolutely.
2: I agree. It reminds me of the framework we use all the time of I, we, it. And Mm -hmm. I feel like in all the things that you just shared, you know, the things you laid out in the book and that consideration for employees is really doing that in real time. And we talk about that being like a grounding practice, right? In nonprofit sector, we see that self-sacrificing as well, or it's just for the mission and people lose themselves in that. Or in business, it might be very eye-centered. It's about Mm -hmm. me and profit and money, and then you're losing the context of the system of the organiza- of the business, things like that. So I just wanted to bring that in because I know we use it all the time because people are like, wait, where do I even start? But that type of questioning, you can see like, where am I not taking care of myself? Where am I not taking care of the system that I'm operating within? And it can really inform the work as you were laying out as well.
1: Yeah. I, I just keep coming back to this whole idea of cooperative competition and more models of that please
0: (laughs) Uh, yeah that's a
1: huge thing right now that we just don't have there's there are you know rays of light here and there but we need like giant spotlights on here's how it's working Mm -hmm. and how can we do more of that because we're in such a as Ray said, like the business owners, the the mega corporations that are so focused on themselves on making money. And it's the cooperative competition, which is going to make them change. And instead of merging to become one giant corporation monopoly, what if they got better at competing with each other in a way that made sense? What if they could actually come together to do some serious work around climate change as major corporations and big box stores.
3: Yeah. Yeah. Well, and so about a month ago, I found myself in Austin, Texas and inside a room about um, the question being asked was, how do we do AI with ethics? So about 30 uh, 50, 15 people in the room were angel investors in the technology space. The other 15 people in the room were uh, computer engineers in the AI space. And that was the question they were asking. So for the first 30 minutes I am, you know, essentially I'm talking about work. So at the end at the end of the day I feel like I can talk to any room cuz that's the one human thing that we all have in common is we all work. We all are making things. We all are like creative. Uh, you know, and there's no such thing of yeah, you know, my job as a leader is to make sure everyone realizes how critical they are to the whole thing. Like I right. fundamentally believe that there's no such job as, well, I'm just a, there's no such job as like, I'm just a truck driver. Well, guess what? My, my, and my job is to make sure that the truck driver might be aware of this, but they are a hundred percent critical to the coffee in Honduras and that story and bringing it to Cincinnati and also delivering it to my final producers they are an incredible component of my supply chain story, right? And so how do we make sure that we're, they're aware of that? But when when we are talking about AI, you know, it eventually comes back to, to me, like, what my opinion might be around this. And the only way I could to ask the question is, is around this cooperative, uh, but also uh, competitive landscape. You know, when you look at all of these seven stakeholders, I, I think the question... That we are, or what we inherently know about our economy. And I, like, I think at a deep subconscious level, is that in order for me to win, you have to lose. And so it's a win lose game, zero sum. <sighs> and you might, I might let you win a little bit, but only if I win more. Right. And so that's kind of the game that we grew up in. I think the shift in economy that we see it, and again, this is like theory, big, big, big picture but I think what we're trying to ask is how do we make it a win-win economy and not only win-win, but win across those seven stakeholders I'm winning. Uh, you know, the, my team members are winning. My supply chain is winning. My right. customer is winning. My competitors winning. And guess what? When we frame it in that way, even though my competitors winning, I'm still winning. Like we're all winning collectively. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that that's part of the conversation. So like, even with something like ethical AI, you know my question to them was like hey here's your here's your investors here's your engineers but here's your consumer we're all we've all been using ai for 20 years we just didn't even know like predictive text was ai right so it's already in our systems we just didn't realize how deeply ingrained it was but the my question to them is what does ethics look like across competition
1: mm-hmm.
2: and if
3: they're going to ask that question seriously and come up with real solutions it's in the competition space i think that they need to ask how everybody wins
2: Yep. Yep. I'm hearing systems change in that, right? The competition will breed the systems change, right? When there are monopolies, there's no incentive to shift anything. But we're when we're working in this larger system together, there's more of that pressure to make sure it is working for us all collectively and it isn't just for a singular company or a singular effort. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
3: Yeah.
1: Yeah. Wow. Lots to think about. And I hope, I hope that everyone will read your book. It's called Radical Business. David Gaines, thank you so much for being here. Um, I think we're going to put it in our bookshop online on prosperpartners.org um, on our website so that folks can um, definitely buy it. Independent bookshops, right? We, we support our independent bookshops.
3: Independent bookstores, it's it's in major distribution. So wherever great. it's local for you, wherever you buy your books is great.
1: Awesome. Great. So we'll put it on our bookshop as well. And uh, so great to talk to you, David. Thank you so much. Good luck on the book tour and getting the word out there.
3: Yeah. Well, and Ray, I can't wait to meet you in Cincinnati. when you. And then Vicky, <laughs> I, I've got a trip. I got to plan a trip to um, Albuquerque because uh, yeah, there's a ton of energy out there around mm-hmm. these conversations. So.
1: Absolutely. Good. Well, we hope to see you in person, David. Sounds good. Thanks for being here. Thanks, Ray. Thank you so much. I'll see you all next time on Impact Out Loud.
0: Thank you for listening to the Impact Out Loud podcast, the podcast that empowers bold impact for good, powered by Prospera Partners. If you liked what you heard, subscribe to Impact Out Loud wherever you get your podcasts and follow Prospera Partners on your favorite social media. If you are inspired to make community-based solutions and systems change, Prospera Partners offers workshops and programs that are open to all. For more information, visit prosperapartners.org. Thank you for joining us. Until next time, be well and do good.